Um, I'm sure this may be not be my place, but we all want to welcome back our wonderful colleague, Congresswoman Giffords, here. And that, with that, I get back. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you this morning, we have some ushers here that have some. If you raise your hand in the air, they will put a Bible in your hand. You'll want to follow along today. We're going to look at God's Word because it's His power. It's how He speaks to us. It's His tool, His voice. So uh, we're, we've been doing this series here in Jonah, and we've kind of seen this whole story unfold. Jonah gets called by God to go to this uh, city of Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He ends up on a boat going the opposite direction gets swallowed by a big fish when he gets thrown into the sea by the sailors on that boat. He finally gets to Nineveh. He preaches this, this message that God's given him. The whole city turns to God. And that's where we kind of can pick up today. It's this really cool story that you, maybe you know, or maybe you heard as a kid. And uh, it's pretty powerful, though, because it's true. And, and we're looking at it for some truth today. We need to hear from it. In the midst of all that's going on in our country right now, in our Congress, all the dysfunction that's happening, you guys are watching the news, you're well aware of it, they talk about it way too much, and it's what they're talking about all the time. But in the midst of all of that, there was this really neat story that happened this week, and that's what that video was about. Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords was able to come back to Congress to make her vote on this new bill that they passed pretty incredible because just back in January, just seven months ago, she was at a rally in her home state in Arizona, and she was shot in the head two times. In fact, 18 people were shot. A horrible tragedy. A horrible tragedy. And she is working hard at recovering, and she was able to come back, and both members, or both parties, all the members of Congress gave her that standing ovation to, to recognize that she was back. And so in the midst of all this dysfunction, in the midst of all this, this anger, this anger and these angry words that, that all these people are kind of throwing at each other, they had a chance to kind of pause and realize what's really important in life, and that's people. And it was a pretty moving thing, to, to, to say the least. At first, no one really knew why people were clapping. And then as everybody kind of picked up on it, it started to go more and more and more. And the commentators were kind of following it, saying, we don't know why they're clapping. The vote's not done yet. And they were confused. And then they realized what was happening. Pretty cool. Well, I remember this story because back in January, I started following it. I took a personal interest in it because one of the 18 people that were shot was a little girl who was nine years old. And she was killed. And she is the granddaughter of uh, Dallas Green, who is a longtime person in the Phillies organization. If you know me, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I'm a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan. Born in Philadelphia, grew up going to the games. Every Sunday afternoon after church, we would go because that's when they, that's when they gave away the, uh, all the kid things. The first, you know, 3,000 kids get something. Man, in school, I had a Phillies backpack. I had a Phillies lunchbox. I had a Phillies beach towel. I had Phillies hats, Phillies jerseys. Everything that they gave away, I had. And just passionate, passionate fans. So Dallas Green, he was a manager at one time, and then he's been in the front office since then. And his granddaughter, who lives in Arizona, 
was one of the people that was shot and she was killed. So I took an interest in this story and followed it from the very beginning. And I remember back in January watching this interview on uh, ABC with Diane Shore, and she was interviewing Mark Kelly, who is the husband of the congresswoman, Gabrielle Giffords. A bunch of overachievers, right? A NASA astronaut marries a congresswoman. Wow. And so... Um, I'm watching this interview and Diane Sawyer is just amazed because Mark Kelly says, and this is just a few days after this has happened and his wife is in the hospital hanging on to her life. He says that I am ready right now to, to meet the parents of the man who did this and I'm ready to forgive them, forgive him. I want to offer them forgiveness. Diane Sawyer is saying, what are you talking, what? What? And, and he said that he had to offer forgiveness as he, if he was going to be able to move on with life. What a great piece of advice. Something that we struggle to do. Something that we struggle to do to, to be able to give, um, give up the anger and the hate that could easily build inside of them. And you know what? He is right. Mark and Kathy and all those involved in that incident, the success that they will have at life post that event really hinges largely on how well they are able to let go of that anger and let go of that pain. That's what it hinges on. They could miss out on so many good things in life because they could become consumed by the negative power of this one event. And that is a life lesson for all of us. We can become consumed by the negative power of one or a few events or one or a few people. And we can miss out on all the good things that God is doing in our world and in our lives. Have you ever missed out on something good because you had that kind of bad attitude? You were focused on this. Can you relate to missing out on even maybe years of life because you had that negative, angry, bitter hold on something in your past? Maybe you're doing that right now. Fortunately for us, for you and for me, God deals with this in a very honest way here in Jonah chapter 4, which we're going to look at today. Turn there and uh, let's stand up and let's read it together. Let's start reading in verse 10 of chapter 3. We'll start there because we can pick up there and we'll go from there. Jonah three ten. You guys can read with me. Here we go. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, 
for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And let's stop right there. And we'll pick it up in a minute. You can have a seat. When I learned this story growing up, and you probably did too, I assumed that Jonah didn't want to go because he was scared. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites because they were this dangerous, savage people, and he was scared. And when Jim kind of went through chapter 1 and opened up this story, he took you to this text here in Jonah chapter 4, which shows why he didn't want to go. It wasn't because he was scared. It was because he did not want that group of people who he hated to have a chance to turn to God. And if you were here the last few weeks, Jim kind of took through in pretty good detail, all of us, what kind of people the Assyrians were like. They were savage. They were wicked. And they did horrible things to Jonah's people, Jonah's family. And you and I could all probably relate to why Jonah didn't want to go. God asked this question, though, in verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? And Jonah doesn't answer. Jonah doesn't answer. Jonah was probably thinking, I don't have to answer that question, God. You know why I'm angry. You know what they did to my family. You know what they did to my friends. You know why I'm mad. But God still asks, is it right for you to be angry? Do we have a right to be angry when God forgives someone else or when God blesses someone else or when some, he allows what we think is some injustice to occur? Do we have a right to be angry about that? That's a hard question to answer because we all have people in our life that we know that we think they don't deserve that. Why would God allow them to get that? Or why would God allow them to have that position? Or why would God allow something to happen and we are standing in judgment over them and saying they don't deserve that? What's God doing? And we get angry. But as I, as I read over this text, I really think this is the key question of Jonah chapter 4. And perhaps even of the book. Do we have a right to be angry? How does God feel about people? We're really going to see that today. Now, I'm not talking about government. When I, when, I say some, when I ask this question, do we have the right to stand in judgment of other humans? God, according to Romans 12, 13, has given that right to government to stand in judgment, to keep law, to keep order. But I'm talking about in our everyday lives because that's where the road, rubber meets the road for most of us. That's where it was meeting for Jonah. He wasn't a military commander. He was a man with a calling from God to preach to these people and he didn't want to do it. So do we have the right to stand in judgment of other humans? God then gives his answer to Jonah through an object lesson. That happens in verse 5. Tara and I just uh, moved to homes here in Goshen. And we, we like our new home. That's why we moved. But one of the things that we miss about our old house was in the backyard, there was this great big maple tree. And it was perfect for climbing. I'd often come home and Tara was climbing the tree. It was, that's my wife. Just kidding, Tara. 
It was perfect for climbing. It was perfect for um, getting big piles of leaves, which I really enjoyed raking. But, but I did enjoy jumping in them with the kids. That was fun. And it was super for shade. It was a perfect great tree. Jonah has a tree that he becomes attached to here that God uses as an object lesson. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah wanted, was still hoping maybe God will punish these people. And he wanted to get a nice view of it. He wanted to get the best seat, right? Like Black Squirrel Golf Course for the fireworks is packed, right? The night of the fireworks. Jonah wanted the best seat. If God was going to destroy this city, he was hoping for a great show and he wanted to see it. So he makes himself a shelter and he goes and he sits there. Verse 6, then the Lord provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it was withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die says Jonah. Jonah starts the chapter angry, verse 1. Then God gives him this tree, and he's happy about the tree. Then God takes it away, and he's angry again. I love how honest the Bible is. I often tell the kids up in Kid City that the Bible is so honest. It shows people how we really are, doesn't it? When you read the stories in the scripture, it doesn't like gloss over and make people look really good. They look like us. Because here is Jonah, who is this grown adult man. He is a prophet of God. And he's acting like a child, isn't he? he he's, he's happy one second, or he's mad. I'm so mad. Oh, a tree, thanks. And he's all excited about this tree. Hey, what happened to my tree? And he's mad again. Right? Up, down, up, down. Acting like a child. It's almost comical to read it. Except, here's the thing. Every one of us is like that too. Right? And we know it. And it's not very funny. These people's eternal destinies were at stake. The city of Nineveh their eternal destinies were at stake. And Jonah couldn't get around his personal feelings of judgment on them to see that. Why not? Because that's hard to do. It is hard for us as humans to get around our personal feelings when people have hurt us, to be able to see that God still loves them and God still cares about where they spend eternity. Someone has written, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. 
We are most like God when we forgive. It is natural for us to judge. It's just what we do as people. And God says, have you any right to judge? Have you any right to be angry, Jonah? And look at the final verse, the way that God, the verses, the way that God ends the book, verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And Jonah doesn't answer this question either. In fact, this book ends on a question just left kind of hanging out there. God says, Jonah, you care about this vine, which you didn't create, and you didn't care for it, it just was there, and I created it. I also created these people, and guess what, Jonah? They are much more valuable than this vine. What was the object lesson that he was trying to teach Jonah? Jonah had wrapped the gospel in his Israeli national flag. And he did not think that it was for anyone else. Jonah had wrapped the gospel in a flag that he had decided who could be redeemed, who was good enough to be in God's kingdom and who couldn't. God didn't see it that way though. And God doesn't see it that way now. The scripture says in the New Testament, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it excludes nobody. That call goes out to anyone and everyone in every society, in every culture around our planet. God wants people to know his grace and forgiveness. As I read through Jonah 4, and was asked to preach out of it this week, two thoughts kind of came to my mind as I studied it and I wrestled with it myself. This has been a good study for me. And as I have wrestled through this and, and, and thought about it, two things that I wanted to share with you this morning. Number one is this. This just jumps out of the pages. God has a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for people. Right? Man, don't you get that when you read this? That God has a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for people. God loves people. Right? When you read this, you say, wow. God really wanted to save those Ninevites. He really, even them? Yeah, even them. God loved them. And second place in God's heart is so far away, it's not even worth mentioning. That's how much God loves people. I told you I'm a passionate Phillies fan. It's like the Phillies right now in the National League. They are so far above the rest of the league. It's not even close. Second place is not even worth mentioning. 
The love that God has for people compared to the rest of creation. It's the, 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 the value that he puts on someone's eternal destiny. How much he cares about someone's where they're going to spend their eternity. Think about this. How much he cares about someone, where they're going to spend their eternity is so great. It's like the difference between your grandmother's Thanksgiving cooking and the hamburger helper your brother made for you when you visited him last week. (laughs) Right? The difference between God's love, he places such a high value on people's eternal destiny over everything else in this world. It's like the difference between reading the sports section of the local newspaper and actually being in the stands when your son hits a home run. Whoa, that does it to you. The difference that, between God and the value that he places on someone's eternal destiny and the rest of creation is like being in love and watching a romantic comedy. There just is no comparison God loves people who are lost. I don't think we realize how concerned God is for the eternity of people's souls. They are his most precious creation, and there is just no comparison. You guys, the last few weeks, Jim has gone into great detail of the history of these Ninevites, how wicked, how cruel they were. And while God does not withhold his judgment forever, God is certainly not a weak God by any means. You read the scripture, judgment will come. He will hold people accountable. But according to Jonah, here in these verses, that is not what God wants to do. He says in verse two, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God that you are slow to anger and you abound in love. You are a God who relents. In other words, you don't want to send calamity. God wants to offer people a chance to have a relationship with him. I once counted and realized that I, because I grew up going to church, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I rejected God in my life. I heard the gospel over 1,000 times before I responded to it. Why would God have that kind of patience for me? I don't know. Why would God have that kind of patience for these Ninevites? Why would God have that kind of patience and love for you? I don't know, but he does. God is so concerned about the eternal destiny of people. He loves them so much that he sent his son into the world to save them. He was probably thinking, Jonah, I understand how you feel, man. These Assyrians, they tortured and they killed people that you love. I get that. But I know the same thing is going to happen to my son. Fast forward a few hundred years. They will torture my son. They will kill my son. And I still want them to turn to me. God's grace is amazing. His love for lost people, for people who don't know him, it must, we just can't, we can't even wrap our mind around it. 
That is God's number one concern. But Jonah wasn't interested. He was just ticked because God took away his shade. He was just mad because that vine was gone. And I can relate to that. I understand how important shade can be. Right? You seen my skin tone? Have you seen my hair? Shade's important. Right? I get sunburned when I'm outside 15 minutes. I'm in the group that thinks that uh, uh, sunburn is just God's little joke on white people. That's... I, that's, I'm in that group. Actually, though, we can all relate to Jonah. We can all relate to Jonah in this way. Like Jonah, we often have more concern for our comfort than we have compassion for people. Isn't that true? We often have more concern for our comfort than we have compassion for people. Jonah didn't care about those people. He wanted his tree back. That's what he was caring. That's what he cared about. That sounds like us sometimes and the things that we just get so mad about. I don't care about that person. I just ticked because they just hit my car. I'm just ticked because that neighbor doesn't mow his grass as often as he should. I'm just ticked because his leaves blow into my yard. I'm just ticked. We have this list. And I don't care if he goes to heaven or hell. I'm just ticked because of what he did to cause me discomfort. Do you remember how many people were living in there in Nineveh? Verse 11 says 120,000 people. Jonah cared more about his tree than 120,000 people. Have you ever been like that? I know I have. Have you ever cared, been more concerned about the cultural or family differences of someone on your street more than where they would spend eternity? I have. I'm guilty of that. I remember when I was a teenager, an older teenager, I was in college. I spent one summer serving as a kid missionary in our our home county in Pennsylvania. And, and, and I would, I, my job was to kind of help run some day camps for kids all summer long and some, after, some afternoon clubs and stuff like that. My mom asked me to do it. To be honest with you, that's why I did it. And uh, you do what mom says to do if you're a good son and so, or a smart son, I should say. And so I did. And, and, so, uh, and so I did this and I said, you know what? This will be a summer gig, way to get some college money, no big deal. And, I, and at the beginning of the summer, I said, God, if I can lead one child to know you, then this summer will be worth it all. And I can remember standing at our church, standing in front of our church family, our whole church that I grew up in, my home church, and standing there, and at the end of the summer, I stood up and I wanted to get, share something with the rest of the church, share a testimony, had an open mic time to do it. And, and I said, you know what? If I told God me this summer, if I could lead one child to Jesus, that this summer would be worth it. And I gotta tell you, I, I had a chance to lead nine kids to Jesus and God has changed my life. And I think he's actually calling me into ministry to kids. And I remember standing in front of the church with tears just streaming down my face, weeping because I was so concerned about the eternity of kids. And sometimes I sit back and I gotta be honest with you, I wonder, where is my heart gone? 
Where's that passion for lost people gone? Why do I wake up in the morning so concerned about so many things that won't matter for eternity? And I'm more concerned about those things than I am the salvation of the people that are right around me. Why am I so concerned? And why does my heart want so much more than the simple truth that I'm here to help people know God? That's it. You are here to help other people get to know God. That's it. That's your calling in life. That's why you are around. That's why God leaves us after we, after we come into a relationship with him. That's why he doesn't just take us right to heaven because we are the best witnesses to what God has done in our lives. And he leaves us here to tell others about it and to be a light to them. Not to be so concerned about everything else in this world. If I'm a follower of God, and God's heart breaks for people who don't know him, then my heart should break for people who don't know him. When Jesus stood over the city of Jerusalem, he didn't see all the homes. He didn't see the landscape of the mountains, as beautiful as it is. When Jesus stood over the city of Jerusalem, it said that he wept because he could see the people and he knew there were so many that wouldn't turn to him. When you look out over your city, when you look out over your community, what do your eyes go towards? Do you see the eyesores in your neighborhood? Do you see the neighbors and you have them pegged? Yep, that one does that. That one's like this. Tara and I told you just moved in this new neighborhood and we're getting to know the neighbors. We're knocking on doors, we're meeting them and we're saying hi, we're introducing ourselves and people are being friendly as well. But you know what's funny? Everybody kind of, they'll, they'll kind of lean in and they'll say, now this guy over here, this lady over here, let me tell you about this one down here. And they're all talking and, and I'm meeting this guy over here and he's saying, yep, that guy over here. And that guy over here saying, yep, that lady over there. And we put people in boxes. When you look out over your community, what do you see? Does your heart break? Do you say, this person has a relationship with God, this person doesn't? Because that's how God sees people. This person has my love, knows my love, is ready for eternity. This person isn't. That's it. People are in two categories. Not based on color, not based on income, not based on their level in life. People are in two categories, people who know God and people who don't. And Jesus, or God wanted Jonah to see that. Jonah, that's why I'm concerned about these people. I know what they did. But listen, they're in this category. They don't know, they don't know me. They don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, he was saying, they don't, they don't know the truth. They don't have the gospel. That's why I sent you there to tell them to repent. And guess what happened when they did? When you did, they did repent. They did turn to God. And now you're mad about it. A lot of the time, if I'm honest, I'm Jonah. 
I am Jonah. And maybe you are too. How do we change our hearts to be more like God's? How do we change our hearts so that our heart loves lost people? Here's a really, really good thing to do. Make a list of three people that you know who don't know God and pray for them regularly. Pick three people that you know, three to five people from work, from your community, um, from school relationships, wherever they are. Make three to five people, write their names down, put it in your Bible. And when you open up your word, your sword in the morning and you get dressed spiritually, you pray for those three to five people. You know what will happen when you start praying for lost people? You begin to love lost people. When you begin to pray and you pour out your heart and you ask God to move in someone's life, you begin to become concerned for their spiritual well-being. And if you don't know three to five lost people, get to know them. 75% of Elkhart County doesn't go to church on Sunday morning. There is a lot of work to do. There are a lot of empty seats in here. And if, and if we fill these up, we can buy more chairs. There are people that need to be reached. And you and I are the ones that God's going to use. Make, make, make that list of three to five people. Do you know what my wife is really good at? She just prays with people. Start offering prayer with people like at restaurants or at the grocery store or even at work. When someone shares something with you, say, can I pray with you about what you just told me? Take 30 seconds and pray for them. Man, you will, you will not only show that person that you care and that you love them, but your heart will begin to carry that burden with them. And the next time they need to talk to someone about God, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you because they know you have a connection with God. Share your story, why you follow God, and invite people to do the same. If we want to be a people that God is using, if we want to be on mission in 2011, in 2012, in the years that God gives us as a church, then we must love lost people. We are a church for lost people. And we need to be a place that will do whatever it takes to reach them. That's, that, that, that's why we'll have men running through the water and mud on Father's Day because we want to reach men. That's why we'll, we'll give away a van to a single mom. It's worth it because we want to reach single moms. People are worth reaching. Is there anything better that we could do as a church than reach a lost person? anything? Is there anything better that you could do with your life than to reach a lost person? I mean, think about that. Is there anything better than that? Than helping someone cross over from death into life, from dark into light, from hell into heaven? Is there anything better that you and I can be involved in with our lives? You might be a teacher, but that's not your calling. You might be 
a lawnmower repairman, but that's not your calling. Every single one of us are called to help people know God. That's why you and I are here. We need to put people number one in our lives above stuff. People are more important than anything else in life. That's what God's saying. And as I'm reading through Jonah 4, it's like, John, get this, man. Get this. I love people. I love lost people. And I don't care what their past is. I want them to turn to me. John, wake up, man. You're, You're missing it. You're living your life and you're so concerned about so many other things. And that's what I'm not, that's not what I'm about. And if you want to be my follower, then you need to be about what I'm about. Here's a second thing, besides God's great love for people, a second thing that we just need to recognize from this text here, Jonah chapter four. In the end, God has the last word. Everything, everyone is his. Just recognize that. I need to recognize that. In the end, everything, everyone is God's. God will have the final say in my life. God will have the final say in your life. God will have the final say in this world. Everything is under his control. Everything is under his care. You know, this text here, things don't end really pretty for Jonah, do they? When I was growing up and I heard the story of Jonah, I remember Jonah being in the big fish. I remember him being puked out because I thought that was kind of cool. I remember him going and preaching in Nineveh and people turning to him. And, and that was like the end of the story. That was where everybody always stopped. And if that were the whole story, man, it would be a great Hallmark movie. It would be a super book. Jonah could write this thing. He could take it around the world and sell a gazillion copies of it. Except here's pesky chapter four, right? Here's pesky chapter four where Jonah blows it. We don't know any more about Jonah after this text. God leaves him, this story, leaves him in the desert, right? Uh, Sulking, far from home, and not real anxious to get to know the new neighbors. And that's it. And the book ends in a question. God says to Jonah, shouldn't I be concerned about this great city? Jonah doesn't answer, and that's it. Jonah's part of the story ends because he doesn't want to be a part of it. But here's the thing that I want you to recognize. If, If you and I are like Jonah, you know what? God's story still doesn't end. God has the last word. God's story still continued. This city of people repented and turned to God. And God did an incredible miracle there in that city. 
He extends them grace. In the end, God has the last word. We are not as in control of our lives or this world as we think we are. And just because I have a bad attitude and I'm like this and I'm not a part of what God's doing doesn't mean that God's not going to continue working. If I don't want to be used, God's going to say, man, I want to use you. But you know what? I don't need you. I'll just come over here and I'll use this person. And you can sit over there and you can sulk by yourself. In the end, God is the one who's in control. Now, the good news is we're not just mere pieces, right? Moved about in this board game that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are playing on a Friday night after a long week. You know, he doesn't view us that way. But God is in control of the world, though. And his will will be accomplished. But he invites us. He invites us to actually be part of the story. He gives you and I a meaningful role in how the details of the story are played out. He invites us to come into this story and be a part of how the details are played out. In the end, God will have his will accomplished, but we actually have a chance to be a part of it if we will get in line with his plan. I can remember being the sulking child sitting in my room by myself while my family is doing some fun activity out here because I didn't get to choose what that fun activity was going to be. Has that ever happened in your family before? You know what? That's kind of like life. If we're sitting over here sulking in this room, guess what? God's not stopped moving. You can have a bad attitude. You can be angry. You can be bitter at what's happened in life. You can not love lost people. You can go about your life and you can do all these great things and you can miss out on what God's doing and you're not going to stop him. God will continue to move. God will continue to work. Why be this child over here when we can be involved in what God is doing? When we can live a life full of adventure, full of mission, full of purpose, full of sense of, of worth and of belonging and we're a part of some great cause. Why not be a part of God's story of reaching our lost community? Let's be a part of God reaching this world. Back to this main question of the text then in verse 4, where Jonah is asked, have you any right to be angry? That's the one that we're answering today. Do you and I have the right to be angry when God shows grace and mercy and blessing to someone? Someone we think doesn't deserve it. God doesn't tell Jonah, you shouldn't get angry. Because people do hurt people. People do hurt people. Jonah was rightfully hurt, rightfully angry by the Ninevites. But he does say, even if someone has hurt you, Jonah, I still love them. I still want them to be part of my kingdom. And so, do we have a right to be angry? Yeah, sometimes. Do we have a right to be judge over people? The answer is no. That's not our role. That's God's. And God will judge. 
God will judge people. Injustices will be made right. But that's not our role. It's not our job to be the judge. It's not our job to be God. That is God's job, God's role. We should treat people as God's most precious creation. And we should love them the way that he loves them, the way that he loves you, the way that he loves me. What if we lived in families where we treated each other more important than stuff? What if we lived in a community where people's eternal destiny was more important than our rights or our comforts or how loud their music was last night? What if we lived that way like God does? I believe we can make an impact on our families, on our communities, on our world, if we will live like God does, if we will love people like God does. Man, what have I missed out on? What have you missed out on because we've been sulking through life? God loves you more than you can imagine. Let me close by reminding you of something that I hope you've already discovered. And it's this. There is nothing you can ever do that will be so great that will cause God to love you any more than he already does. Right? You can never be so good that you can earn more of God's love. He loves you so much already. He can't love you anymore. That's awesome. Do you know what else is also true? There is nothing so horrible that you could ever do that would cause God to love you any less. He loves you so much. He can't love you any less. But you know what? That's also true for the person sitting next to you. And that's also true for the person on the other side of the world. God loves everybody that way. So should we. God, give us a heart for people who need to know you. Lord, help us to be a church that will do whatever it takes. Help us to be people that will do whatever it takes to reach people who need to know you. Lord, our world is full of messed up people. People who have done horrible things. Lord, I know because I'm one of them. Lord, I know because our church is full of them. Lord, help us to not stand in judgment over others. Lord, help us to not be like Jonah. God, help me to wake up in the morning concerned, thinking about the people that I know that are in my life and even the people that I don't know that are around the world, Lord, who don't know you. God, may that be what we see. May that be what we think about when we look across our community. God, we, we might be tempted to sit back and, and say, there are so many churches in our community. There are so many people that are already Christians. There are so many people that are part of grace already. Lord God, forgive us if we've thought that. 
Lord God, forgive us if we have become complacent. God, would you spark a new fire in us to reach people who need you? God, would you spark a new fire in us to reach our neighbor, our coworker, our brother, our niece, our nephew? Lord God, would you light a fire in each of us, Lord, that we would love people that you love, even people that have hurt us. God, we're asking for you to do great things in our future, in our community, in our cities. In Jesus' name, amen.